Real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. Speak to my guest for this evening. And every night, as you know, we always like to talk to somebody interesting. And, you know, I have this thing with Jane where she doesn't really tell me too much about the guests. So just like you, I want to be interested in what they do and I want to be surprised by their answers. So tonight, well, we spoke a few weeks back to a woman who had a near-death experience. And it was truly fascinating, by the way. Do you remember that woman? She was in a car crash and she was upside down in the car and she remembers the lights and she remembers coming, somebody coming to the door to help her. And then she was told later there was nobody and... Oh, it was a kind of strange story, but it was a kind of near-death experience that she had, and she ended up in a coma for a while. A lot of you wrote in with different experiences of your own. So we thought, of course, we should get an expert on to talk about why we have or why people have near-death experiences. That idea of, I was on the trolley, and, and she described that she said she could see herself on the trolley from, like, the corner of the room as if she was looking from a CCTV camera, and she could see herself. And then she talked about this light and... And I, I kind of said at the time, well, maybe there's kind of scientific explanations for all of these things as to why we experience that, or some people experience that, maybe some people don't experience it. But Dr. Bruce Grayson is a professor emeritus at the, of psychiatry and neurobehavioral sciences at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. He was a co-founder and president of the International Association for Near-Death Studies and the editor of the Journal of Near-Death Studies. Dr. Grayson has published more than 100 scholarly articles about near-death experiences in peer-reviewed medical journals and three academic books. And he joins me now to tell us everything we need to know about, well, almost dying, I suppose. Um, Bruce, (laughs) hi, how are you? I'm fine, Niall. I'm glad to be talking to you tonight. Nice to talk to you too. I hope it's not as cold where you are as it is here. Um, So... Uh, Bruce, I mean, when people talk about nearly dying or having a near-death experience, is, is that all psychological and inner heads? And is there a scientist, scientific, logical explanation as to why they see these things or think they see these things? That's a great question, Niall. I don't think it's all psychological uh, because we have uh, evidence that, that what they're seeing and reporting uh, has an objective uh, aspect to it. For example, people uh, like the call you had a few weeks ago are able to leave their bodies and report things that are outside their bodies so they can see and report them accurately when they're totally unconscious and shouldn't be able to see them. Okay. So so when that woman spoke to me and said that she saw herself on like a, a steel kind of bed being pushed around, it was almost like she said she could see herself like through CCTV. She was looking down on herself or at an angle from a corner of a right. room, top of a room. Right. So right. You're, you're telling me in some sense that may be real. Now, she may not be looking from that angle. She may be looking from her own eyes, but obviously can't distinguish that. Right, right. Well, it's something like that where if you're saying things that are uh, possibly to be expected or to be guessed, it's hard to say whether that was really accurate or not. Mm. But in some cases... Uh, people who are unconscious um, report things that are very surprising. For example, in an operating room, they, re- they report that a nurse had uh, mismatched shoelaces or something like that. They're, they may report very bizarre behavior that surgeons were doing that we later find out by talking to the surgeons and nurses was accurately accurate true. Wow. Because there's no way they could obviously see the shoelaces of the nurse. So, so they would have to be looking from a different perspective. So exactly. that, so that, yeah. well, that, that essentially then proves a point that many people believe that our consciousness is separate to our bodies. Uh, that would certainly suggest that. Um, you know, we're, we're taught that 
that the mind is what the brain does, that all our thoughts are created by the brain. But there are many well-documented near-death experiences where people's brains were offline. They were not functioning at all. And yet people report their consciousness was more vivid than ever. Their thoughts were faster and clearer. Their perceptions were clearer. And yet there's no way the brain could be doing that in these cases. Because they're under deep anesthesia or, in fact, in cardiac arrest where they're getting no oxygen to the brain. But I, I thought once there was no brain activity, you were clinically dead. You were, you were officially dead. I thought that was it then. Your number is up and you're not coming back. I know the heart can stop and I know the lungs can stop and the organs can stop. But I thought the brain itself, once that officially has no activity, that's it. Your number is gone. Well, it's more complicated than that now because the brain doesn't uh, die all at once. Different parts of the brain are more resistant to lack of oxygen. So it may be a process where when the heart stops within a few seconds, certain parts of the brain stop functioning, but other parts may continue for several more minutes or sometimes hours. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say when someone actually dies. There's no uh, on and off switch. Is, is the near-death experience like, in some way like dreaming? Because obviously when we dream, we can be anywhere we want to be. And, and, you know, we've often had dreams that we feel are reasonably accurate. You know, we dream of places we've never been to and then we eventually go there and it's reasonably accurate or a dream was accurate. I don't know whether we picked up those images off TV or something like that and you just re-remember them again. But but right. is, is near death similar to maybe dreaming in, in like a REM state of some description? Well, people who have near-death experiences consist that it's not at all like dreaming. Uh, that They say that the near-death experience is more real than everyday life, the way everyday life is more real than a dream is. Mm. So they have no doubt in their minds that this is not a dream. Uh, the other thing too, Bruce, is your phone is just making some kind of noises, a crackling noise. I don't know whether you're in one position or something like that, or maybe you're on a speaker, I'm not too sure, but um, if you could try and clear that up just a little bit, it's fine. We can hear you all right, but it's just making kind of noise. So. Okay. Yeah, it'll be great. You can clear that up. Oh, that's better, I think. And, you know, what qualifies as a near-death experience? What do you qualify when somebody comes to you and or you're writing a paper or whatever it happens to be? What qualifies as a near-death experience? Uh, there are profound experiences that many people have when they are in a near-death situation or sometimes pronounced dead that have either mystical or paranormal or spiritual features like the sense of leaving the body, uh, seeing deceased loved ones and so forth having a total life review, uh, and then coming back, either being sent back against their will or deciding to come back, and then coming back with with new attitudes, beliefs, values, and behaviors, and they are never the same again after a near-death experience. And do you have to be religious to believe in that? Because, of course, if people are not religious, they don't believe that, you know, they're going to meet anybody or going to go to a heaven or a different place or whatever it is. Um, do, do you have to have, have some religious belief to, to have that kind of near-death experience? No, not at all, Niall. Mm. I know a lot of people who were confirmed uh, atheists uh, before the, the near-death experience, and they were totally transformed by it. Mm. I know a lot of people who were religious who felt that in the near-death experience, they experienced a reality was, that was totally different from what their religion taught them was going to happen. Wow. Um, what's the most bizarre story that you've heard from a near-death experience? I'm assuming most of these people have been, you know, in trauma, they've had a heart attack, or they've been in a coma, or whatever it is. What's, what's the most unusual or bizarre story you've ever heard? Well, that's hard to say, because every one of them is unusual uh, to me. Um, but some of the things that are hard to explain are when people 
a lot of people will, will say they encountered deceased loved ones in their near-death experience. And that can be uh, dismissed by saying, oh, you expected to see them, so of course you imagined. You did, yeah, yeah. But there, are, but there are a number of people now who have reported seeing deceased individuals who no one yet had known had died. Um, mm. And we have accounts of this going back to the ancient Greece and Rome. Pliny the Elder wrote about a case like this in the first century. But I've talked to people here, uh, one fellow from South Africa who was in his 20s, who had a nurse working with him every day in the hospital. He was in the hospital for uh, respiratory arrests. And she took a weekend off to celebrate something. He didn't know what. And during that time when she was away, he had a near-death experience. And yeah. in his near-death experience, he's in a, in a different world, and he saw her walking towards him. Okay. He was stunned because she, what was she doing there? He asked her, and she said, Jack, you have to go back to your body, and I want you to find my parents and tell them I love them, and I'm sorry I wrecked the red MGB. Well, he didn't know what she was talking about, but he then woke up in his hospital bed, and he told the first nurse that came into his room about this experience. And she got very upset. Turned out that his primary nurse, who had taken off for the weekend, was celebrating her 21st birthday. And her parents had surprised her with the gift of a red MGB, which she promptly crashed into a telephone pole and died instantly oh, no. a few hours before his near-death experience. Oh, my God. I don't know how you explain that. Well, you can't really explain that. <laughs> you, there is no explanation for that. I mean, there are a lot of things well, that happen in this world with little, with little explanation. And, and that is exactly. one of them. Certainly is one of them. But, but is there scientific, from, from your point of view, and I know you've written hundreds of scholarly articles in peer-reviewed medi- right. in peer-reviewed medical journals, is there any scientific explanation or chemical brain reaction explanation for some of the things? Like when people say, for example, I see I started going towards a light. Is that right. a brain chemical reaction where, you know, or something to do with the optical nerves? Or is there ever any logical scientific explanation for some of the things that happen to people? Well, we haven't found one yet. That doesn't mean we won't, but we haven't found one yet. When I started doing this work about 50 years ago, um, I was a materialist. I thought there's nothing beyond the physical brain. And I assumed we would soon find some simple physical explanation for this. So we tested one theory after another over the, over the decades and have not found anything. For example, we first thought it was lack of oxygen to the brain. Mm-hmm. But if you actually measure the oxygen going to the brain of people as they're near death, those people who have near-death experiences actually have better oxygen supply than those who don't. We also looked at drugs given to people, and we find that the more drugs people are given, the less likely they are to report near-death experiences, and so on. We've tested okay. one hypothesis after another. I, I, I can understand, I can understand that, experience. yeah. I can probably understand if they're drugged out of it, well, they're, they're, they're less likely to be conscious, or they're less likely to have any consciousness right. whatsoever. Right, right. And, and your book, by the way, it's called A Doctor Explores What Near-Death Experiences Reveal About Life and Beyond. I'm interested in the, in the beyond part. When we talk about consciousness, and I've had deep conversations with friends, my wife recently about consciousness and what we believe. I'm an atheist. But late, lately, I've been thinking about the, my own personal idea was when you die, that's it. Just like before you were born. Right. There's nothing, Right. Right. But more lately, I've been thinking to myself, because I'm a very critical thinker, that maybe that just can't be it. Maybe your consciousness lives on. Because did we really spend, or did I really spend 60 to 70 to 80 years of your life building up a consciousness for it just to vanish? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so yeah. what's your belief on that? From everything you've studied and from all the people you've spoken to and all the research you've done, 
what's your theory on what happens? Okay, your body is dead. The physical, the meat is dead. The organs are dead. And your brain is gone, which is only really cells anyway. But the consciousness itself, what do you think happens to that? Really, I don't know, Niall. When I started out doing this research, uh, like you, I was a a materialist. I thought that when you die, that's the end of it. There can't be anything else. Um, But I've talked to so many people now who did die and were brought back and can talk about their consciousness continuing. I have to believe something happens after death. Now, when I ask them to describe it, they all say to me, well, I can't. There aren't any words to describe it. And then we say, great, tell me about it. So, So we make them destroyed it by putting it into words. So I don't take what they say about the afterlife or about consciousness after death very literally. I think it's basically metaphors. So I think there is something after death. I think our consciousness continues, but I have no idea what form that takes. And I imagine it's something that's something we can't even conceive of right now. Because when you say near-death experiences, the word near is really important here. Because those people who've come back and talked to you they didn't, in fact, die. They had a near-death experience. And I'm wondering, is, that a, is there a huge difference in actually dying for real and having a near-death experience? Because obviously near-death means you're still alive in some shape or form, uh, either being kept alive by a machine or whatever it happens to be, but you're not actually dead. So I wonder, is there a yeah. stark difference between actually being dead and near-death? That's a great question, Lyle. You know, we've talked to people who were pronounced dead and in fact, some who were put in a morgue and left there for a couple of days and then woke up and told us about near-death experiences. We've also talked to people who were in car accidents or are falling off mountains, and as far as we know, their hearts never stopped, but they report the same types of near-death experience. So it doesn't seem to matter how close you come to death or whether you actually have your heart stopped. Now, it may be different if you are not revived. Now, people who don't come back from death, don't talk to us and tell us what happened to them. Obviously, yeah. So maybe that the, the, accounts, the accounts that we hear from people, even though their hearts have stopped and we think for all purposes they're dead, that may be a different experience than staying dead permanently. Maybe mm-hmm. what they're telling us is the first few moments of what happens when your heart stops. And it's different maybe three days after that. It's astonishing, by the way, when you mentioned, you know, people uh, that were put in the morgue. We only had a case of that recently in Ireland, and, and I don't think there's been many cases uh-huh. of it. In one of our major hospitals where no. a family were contacted to say, I'm sorry, your you know, father, husband, whatever, has passed away. Can you come and identify the body? It's in the morgue in the hospital here. Sure enough, it was in the morgue for about a day until it woke up and went, what am I doing here? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that that can happen. And what about yes, this? Can. Yeah, what about what people talk about the soul? Do you give any credibility to that or any credence to that? You know, what is the soul or is that just a religious word for your consciousness? Well, it, it's, it's uh, too loaded with religious connotations for me to really deal with. Um, I talk about our consciousness, our mind, that may be the same thing as the soul. I don't know. I don't really know what a soul is. Mm. But I talk about our mind, our, our ability to think and perceive and make judgments. Um, and that's our consciousness, which does seem to persist after the brain stops. And and why did you kind of get into this in the first place? As a younger man, obviously, you kind of got into this and got very interested in this and, and you know, went on yeah. to be a professor emeritus of psychiatry. What what brought you into this? Because people would say it's, it's quite a morbid career. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what got, you, got, a, got, a, got you into that or interested in it? Well, I, I was raised in a scientific household where the, the primary value was 
you know, posing questions and trying to find data to find answers. And I grew up with that a materialistic mindset, went through college and medical school with that belief that the mind is, is part of the brain. And then in my first years of training as a psychiatrist, I was confronted by people who claimed to have uh, left their bodies when they died and then come back and, and talk about still being conscious. I couldn't understand that. But being a scientist, I know you don't run away from things you don't understand. You run towards them and try to understand them. So I figured I'm going to try to understand this. I started collecting cases, looking for patterns among the cases, cross-cultural patterns, patterns going back centuries, and trying to find the similarities and what physiological effects were correlated with those. And I couldn't find any physiological effects that were correlated, but I still kept looking. And now 50 years later, I'm still looking for something. And when you say, you know, that people have near-death experiences, you know, people who generally are in comas or whatever, what, what percentage of people, say, in a coma would have a near-death experience? Is it a very low percentage or is it quite common? It's practically pretty common. Uh, when you look at people who have um, their hearts stopped, who have a cardiac arrest in the hospital, which is the population we've studied most, between 10 and 20% of those will have a near-death experience. Um, and that's, that's a huge number. Um, and they also, I should say, they occur to perfectly normal people. Um, they don't occur to people with mental illness or neurological disorder. Everyone can have a near-death experience. Mm. And, and I, I've often wondered, I remember watching a documentary once where they, they tried to jog people's consciousness by the use of psychedelic drugs, <clears throat> mushrooms yeah, and the yeah. like. I mean, what's your view on that? But by using drugs to enhance people's consciousness so they can remember more about what actually happened, do they do things like that? Or is that real? Or was I watching the wrong documentary? Well, it, um, I think the, the research with psychedelics is uh, just in this, in this uh, infancy right now. And we're learning a whole lot more about what goes on in the brain physically when you take these psychedelics. And a lot of psychedelics can produce a, 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 uh, an experience that has some characteristics of a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. So it may be a model to look at what's going on. Um, but people I know who have had both a near-death experience and psychedelic experiences say they are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, one person said to me, when I was taking uh, psilocybin, I saw heaven. But when I was in my near-death experience, I was in heaven. Oh, okay. Well, they say there's a difference. You use the same words for it, but it's a totally different experience. I get you. No, I, I can understand what, what exactly what you mean by that. It's a really interesting subject, and so many people will tell us that they've had near-death experiences. The woman that we spoke to, going, going back a few weeks ago, said when she was upside down in this car, unconscious, she believed she was unconscious at the time, so she was told by other people, right. that a man came, right. opened her seatbelt, got her out of the car, uh, called an ambulance, and yet the ambulance people, the police and everybody else and other witnesses said nobody came near the car. Huh. Which, and to this day, she has never found out who this person was and they've never come forward and she was told by you know, other people that were there that you know, at the scene that nobody came near the car and that she, she waited in the car until the ambulance came. So, so do you think, though, who are these people that they see that there's never an explanation for? Like they see complete strangers and they can describe them. A man with brown hair, five foot eight, had a beard. You know, they yeah. can describe yeah. these people, but yet they're not people from their own memories. Yes, yes. I've heard a number of accounts like that of people who seem to have sort of miraculous rescues uh, by individuals who cannot be identified and no one knew they were there. And I don't know what to make of that. Mm. Um, you know, again, I think it's all uh, kind of metaphoric when we hear it. and We don't know what really happened to these people. Yeah. But something brought them back. 
And does does do you think near near death experiences always change your life for the better? Because you talk about people when they have a near death experience, their life you know it changes afterwards. Maybe sometimes they be they become religious or find God or whatever it is. Do do you think it's always a life changer for the better, or have people had have never negative experiences from it? I think it's usually usually an experience for the for the better. Um, they become much more more loving, much more compassionate, much more attuned to other relationships. Uh, but that can cause problems for a lot of people. People who are in a very uh, competitive businesses may find that it doesn't make sense to them anymore to try to get ahead at someone else's expense. Mm. I've known people who were career police officers or military officers who couldn't continue in that career after a near-death experience. They couldn't stand the idea of hurting someone else. And they had to change their careers. I've known people whose marriages broke up because the, the spouses couldn't tolerate the changes in this person. Wow. So it's not always a positive, positive thing. Yeah, yeah, of course it can change somebody's life because they, they kind of reassess their whole life, I suppose, don't they, after something exactly, like that happens. Exactly, exactly. But look, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thought and a very interesting uh, research. And if anybody wants to grab the book, it's available in all the usual places, I imagine, Amazon and everywhere else. Um, it's, That's right. And it's called um, After a Doctor Explores What Near-Death Experiences Reveal About Life and Beyond. So a doctor explores what near-death experiences right. reveal about life and beyond. And it's by Bruce Grayson, Dr. Bruce Grayson. Um, Bruce Grayson, listen, thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening. I found it a very interesting conversation. Intriguing. I spent a lot more time talking about a lot more deeper stuff. (laughs) But thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate it. Now, Now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime Talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.